I called this limits off or getting the limits off of your life or taking the limits off of God. Now, that may just sound totally crazy that you would come and tell people, uh, take the limits off of God. Or here's how you can take the limits off of God. That would infer then that a person could limit God. Now, that does not sound right, right? But it's right. Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say, because here's the thing. The Bible, God, said this in the Word, I am the Lord, I change not. Right? So then if He changes not, and we see at different times where He moved real powerfully and did wonderful things and great things, then why would He not do the same thing always if He does not change what is the changing factor of life? You got it. You, me, people are the changing factor. And so if the scripture tells us these things, and there are things we can do to unlimit God, we know this by truth if we would just sit down and listen to the things we've heard preached. Everybody would shout and say, with God, all things are and we run around and tell everybody, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, remember, that's the ceiling height. All things. But notice, all of them are possible with God. But the interesting part, he said, they're only possible for those who believe. So the only way to get up to the full is determined by the person. I know you like that, right? In other words, isn't the ceiling in life and God's standard that all men would be saved? Didn't the Bible say that? But we also know not all men will be. Though God wills that all men be, he left it in whose hands to be saved? Ours and theirs. In other words, we share, and then what happens when we share? What happens? They get an opportunity to receive, to believe, to accept. And then, if they believe and receive, guess what? They've come up to God's very best. You out there? And then they're saved. But we understand that God doesn't really have certain limits set. He has an all things possible mentality, but then the factor of life is humanity. And here is a big thing that God recognizes from the beginning till now that is a huge factor in our success or us unlimiting God, as it were, is a thing called uh, your imagination. Now, in the world we live, People, you'll hear positive thinking people out there and stuff like that. They recognize there is something to do with the imagination. But you got to remember this. Man is God's creation. On accident or on purpose, whether you created the car you drive, you can figure out some aspects to how it functions. And you're not the creator. 
Isn't that the truth? And man has figured out that the mind and the imagination is important. Well, why is it important? Because you figured it out out there and then brought a bunch of people in and said, think positive? No. And I'm not saying they're bad for saying think positive. That's surely better than thinking negative. But then there should be realities to the way we think. In other words, some people out there are just think positive, think positive, think positive, and everything's positive, and live a positive life, and they'll die and go to hell. Positively. Without the Lord. And so, am I saying it's wrong to think positive? No. But God is the creator of man, so he made man with an imagination. And man, you know... When they use it right, it's tremendous. When they use it wrong, it can be devastating. And if you go read through the Bible, when people got together with wrong imaginations, oh my, it was bad. Why did the Lord destroy the earth with a flood? He said man's imagination of their heart, all of them, nonstop, is continually on evil things. Because of that, they were partying, uh, not marrying, just having sex outside of marriage. Why do people do such things? Because of their imagination, the way they think, the way they process. Somebody said, well, just let everybody be the way they want to be. Everybody can imagine what they want to imagine, but that doesn't mean you're doing the right thing with your imagination. And if you are God's creation, just like your car is a manufacturer's, you know, creation, you don't have to change the oil often. You don't. Um, it's wise to. Just letting you know. Well, I've been going fine for 15,000, 20,000 miles with no problem, so I'm just going to keep doing that. You're not the boss of me. No, I'm not. But I'm telling you, the manufacturer knows more about your car, and you go to 20,000 miles, and you go, it's working perfect. I watched a video one time online where they had lifted up this car on, you know, on a lift to drain the oil, and it didn't pour out. They pulled it out. I thought, I'd never seen nothing like that. I thought, that car didn't even have a runny nose oil tank. I mean, they, it wasn't coming out. Well, that is bad. But it was created a certain way, and so we just need to recognize we're created a certain way. Even if the world pushes you a certain way, they can't control you, and they can't control the way you think. And so this is what you need to know about your imagination. It was made by God for mankind's progress in spiritual matters, in walking with God, and being successful in life with Him. Growth and renewing your mind is definitely connected to that type of thought, meaning how you use your mind, how you use your imagination. That's why we see so much twisted stuff on TV, and then we wonder, why are all these people in the world acting like they do? Well, we've been putting images, imaginations in them, and they've just sat and fed on whatsoever they will, and then we wonder why we have an unkind society. Well, we'll just keep going. 
but does it hinder to imagine wrong across the board and not think appropriately and picture things a certain way that God has designed? If he's the designer, and he is, and he created everybody with this mechanism called imagination, can we see where it unlimited God or where it did limit him? And that would be where we got the message from. And uh, if that's the truth, then we have to recognize, man, I've got a part to play in this whole thing after I'm born again, after I've already given my life to the Lord, after I'm walking with him. My imagination is crucial to my prayer life, to everything. I mean, we know this that I'm about to say to be true. You ever had a bad situation happen and, and somebody cuts you off and you think, I can floor it. I can catch them. You start imagining. I'll get up next to them and I'll go, you wait till they get home and I'm going to let them. And they're imaging. And then they go, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. I'm not going to do that. Then somebody comes home and they do it. Why did you do it? You just right then said, no, I'm not. It's because you had been imagining it. And God made you that way. That's why the Bible said, cast down vain imaginations, not all imaginations. Remember the scripture that some of you probably figured out, Psalm 78? Remember this, verse 41. This is concerning the children of Israel and how God wanted to do further great things in their life. He wanted to do great things and keep doing great things, but we see that the children of Israel... Uh, didn't keep having great things happen to them the way God wanted it. Notice verse 41. Yes, again and again. Notice that phrase, again and again. I don't like that. They tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Who did the limiting? Well, if it's just the Lord, it'll just happen. That's not a true statement. In other words, it doesn't matter what comes, I have a role to play. And the sooner we figure this out, the better off we are. That's why there's so much in the Bible about renewing your mind. And how the enemy will attack you and want you to think, you know, on the negative side of life. But you were created with imagination, and notice they limited the Holy One of Israel. How did they do it? How did they do it? Because just to say it is one thing. Because if it didn't tell us how, then we would be left to guess, and you and I could come up with totally different conclusions. They limited them because God wanted to be limited. They limited them because... God was just mad at some of them. He didn't like them as much as the ones later on. You could come up with all kinds of conclusions, but I'm thankful that there's a verse 42 after verse 41, so he can give us the conclusion. Notice this. They limited the Holy One of Israel, comma, they did not remember his power. They didn't remember his power. They didn't think on his power. They didn't imagine his power. Then what's interesting is, see what it is right here, is he's trying to get them to go into the promised land, what God had for them, 
and they were limiting his ability from bringing them into the promised land, the good land God had promised them. And why? It said because they didn't remember. They didn't imagine his power. And here's what's interesting. In case you didn't know people of Israel, I'm going to tell you what you're not thinking on so you can start imagining how powerful I am and what I can do. So he wrote this and had this there, and he said this. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. What enemy is he talking about? He's talking about coming out of Egypt, and this is talking about going into the promised land. He said they didn't remember. Man, they had left. It hadn't been days when this started happening. Days. And they weren't thinking about how God brought them out. When he worked his signs, verse 43, in Egypt, and his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. Think of it. This happened just weeks before, and he said, listen, you guys are limiting me from going in. Don't you remember when I did this to the Pharaoh on your behalf? You're not even imagining keeping that in your mind, how powerful I am, that I made it so not one of your enemies could take a drink of water. I contaminated all the water of your enemies because I told you I'm bringing you out. And they didn't remember that. They didn't imagine that. And then it goes on, verse 45, and he sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. I mean, it was pretty bad if you read the story. And he said, and he also gave their crops up to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. In other words, they had been working their fields, and God said, let my people go. And then the Pharaoh said, no, we're not going to do it. And God said, Moses, tell them if they don't and he doesn't, I'm sending locusts against them. And wham, locusts came and wiped out all their labor. And he said, listen, I'm not done doing great things in your life, but you're limiting me now from doing great things because you're not imagining right. You're not remembering these things. You're not looking at how I work. So he just goes through this list. He said, verse 47, he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He also gave up their cattle to the hail. I mean, it doesn't matter what. You think, oh, well, at least I got, I got hamburger. If, if I don't got wheat and corn because the locust... I got hamburger, and then God tenderized it. Just sent hail and beat those things to death. I mean, this is the truth. This happened, and he said, you guys are, you're limiting me. Look, I'm trying to bring you into this land. You don't even remember all this stuff I did just recently. And then he goes on to say, their flocks to fiery lightning. He cast them into the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. Remember the death angel that came? He said, I'll protect anybody who offers up a lamb, which is a picture of Jesus, and you apply that blood to the doorpost, I'll protect you. And the children of Israel knew, so they did it. They put the blood and they ate the lamb. 
And the other one said, whatever. They woke up the next morning. The death angel passed through, destroyed all those firstborn. Because God kept saying, let my people go. And they wouldn't. In other words, these were all things so people would let them go. And they wouldn't. They were trying to hold them. And God said, I'm going to use a strong hand to bring them out and to bring you in. But the problem was, his strong hand that brought them out was being limited now from bringing them in. And he said, by sending angels, verse 50, and he made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to the plague. I mean, there was stuff happening from leprosy and everything. And destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt. And that's when that death angel came. But he told him, none have to die. You just obey me. But here was the thing. Only the people who trusted in the Lord, the children of Israel, obeyed. But now they're just a few weeks past. And God's like, now it's time for us to enter in. And they're like, how are we going to do this? He said, you're limiting me because your imagination, you're not thinking big enough about God. And his power. And he goes on through this list of different things. And it's real interesting how he talks about how they limited because of their imagination. The way they looked at things. The way they imaged things. The way they, and they had a choice. And so God tried to get them back in line by reminding them. As a matter of fact, as you read the Bible, you'll see that God used certain principles so people and their children would remember the great acts of God. One responsibility of parents in the Old Testament, which should not change, is to instill in their kids the past miracles and the miracles God does and His power and His available power today. Period. And so what they would do is they'd set up these rocks, and God said, set this here, you know, so that when people pass by, they'll remember I did this there. And then go set up rocks over there, this big thing as a reminder. And then when you go by over there, then you'll be able to, kids will go, hey, well, what's that all about? Oh, that's when God delivered, and that's when God did this. Why? So they get this image. So you think about it, when Jesus came on the scene, the disciples, before they were disciples, were ingrained in this type of thinking. Look what God did. Look what God did. Now they're seeing God do it. And it's interesting what the imagination has to do with this. And I think, you know, some people in the world, turn to Proverbs 4, I think some people in the world have recognized the value of the mind. The mind is not everything. The spirit is the eternal part of you too. The mind is a factor you deal with. God makes you new in spirit and influences your heart. But that core way of thinking and seeing is really uh, an individual's responsibility. You with me? And now God will help you, and God will try to direct your path. Proverbs 4, verse 21 said this, concerning his word. He said, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, when he talks about keep them, what he has said, how he has worked, what he does before your eyes, it literally doesn't just mean physical. It literally also can be mental and spiritual eyes. 
In other words, not just look with your physical eyes and see, but imagine, ponder. Why would he tell you that? The very next verse tells you, for they, those things you keep before your eyes that are right, they are life to those who find them. You go find things how God worked. It's interesting to me how people tell the bad things and well, I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. But God said, go find where I've worked, and go get your mind on that, and imagine that. And here he said, if you'll do that through the truth, he said, it'll be life to you. Notice, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them. And health, and literally is how the Hebrew reads, is medicine to all your flesh. But you got to find them. It's a personal responsibility. And uh, what I know about our covenant, and we talked about this, you know, the last few weeks about grace, there's stuff that was bought for you, gotten for you, that you don't beg God for, that you actually already have. You just need to get it into motion. You need to uncork it, so to speak. And one thing that, that's fascinating for me in these more recent years is how certain things uh, like cars have come that years ago, if you wanted a car to go faster, you'd go to a speed shop. You'd get a cam. You know, I'm talking 30, 40 years ago, you get a, get a cam and you get a bigger carburetor and you get headers and you get all these things and you take off the old and you put on the new. And then you, you know, and then you change the gears in the rear end. But it was about buying something and putting something in there. Now, I know that that is still somewhat true today. But there is an underlying thing today that's real interesting. With our cars being computer-driven now or operated, you don't have to necessarily. Now, you can. But a lot of cars or a number of cars, you don't have to do that. You just have to reprogram its computer. The power's already there. And then you unlimit the power or release more of the power by reprogramming it. In other words, you don't have to get a new cam. You don't have to get a new carburetor. You don't have to get all those parts you would have had to get. Now, you can, and I understand that, but there still is a side where you can reprogram and your car will go faster. The ability's already there. And I think that's so appropriate when we're talking about unlimiting God because it's not like we're trying to unlimit him in heaven, but we're trying to unlimit the stuff he's already placed in us as believers. Not lost people, I'm talking believers. And so look at Colossians, the second chapter, and this is real interesting because how do I do this in a real way today? I have to find out, is there more in me? And if I want to unlimit it or unleash it, I've got to imagine or start using my imagination a right way. So notice this in Colossians 2, verse 10. So just like that computer has potential or that car, think of this. You as a believer have potential. And I know this about believers, and listen, this is important, because I was one once, too. I still am. But way back when I got saved, if I heard a scripture like this, 
I would not have argued with you outwardly, but I would have argued with you inwardly. You ever heard somebody preach and you argued with them inwardly? I mean, not here when you were at the other church. Or you got here. Or should I say, have you ever argued with something that I said today? You know, when I said, you know, you can limit God. I mean, there might have been some people going, nuh-uh. You know what I mean? But we do see it is pretty clear that man can limit God even though he's all-powerful. He has said it this way. He's made it this way. So you have a choice in the matter. And so is there a potential in a person, and this is where I would argue early on, I would hear like a preacher get up and say, there's good stuff in every believer. When you got saved, good things came in you. And I, and I knew salvation was good. I had a real experience. But I would argue and say, I don't got no gift. I don't know what you're talking about. I did. I, I would. Now, I might have got up after the service and had sensed God and recognized there was a good flavor from the Spirit, so to speak. You know what I mean? I was like, well, that was good. That did something to me inside. But there was a time in the message where I argued. I went, I don't got nothing. Not, not, no, I don't. I mean, maybe something, but not something. So I understand if I did it, there's a chance that one other person has done it. Or maybe not by the look on people's faces. But is there potential in the believer that comes into them beyond what you could imagine? And therefore, God would make sure you could imagine and told you. So notice this verse here, Colossians 2, verse 10. And you, who's he talking to? Believers, people who have received Christ, are complete in him who is the head, and that's Jesus, of all principality and power. Notice that phrase, you are complete. The Greek word for complete means to furnish. You've been furnished with something. It literally means to fill to the full, literally to fill so nothing is wanting. You know how many Christians say, the Lord is my shepherd, I want? Somebody said, is that how that reads? No, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's a prophetic psalm, I shall not want. But the issue is, we don't always see ourselves the way God does. We don't know really what's in us. Like what's in those computers on those cars that if with a reprogramming, you could unleash more power. But we're not just looking to unleash power. We're looking to unleash present graces and potential that's already there in Christ. And so if they limited him, we might be limiting him and not even know it. So what does it look like to be complete or full with nothing wanting? It's a good question. What does that look like? Well, how many of you would agree we just read Colossians 2 verse 10? This isn't a trick question. It's kind of like how many of you were listening? A half a hand, a scratch on the nose. He's like, well, I think so. Nobody else, a scratch with the glass on the ear, and nobody else, okay, I ain't got it. Okay, I've got one here. Right. All right, so you at least would agree. You know, people are like, is this one of those trick questions? No, we just read Colossians 2 10. 
So let's look backwards in Colossians, and let's see if he told you what it looks like to be complete in him. Let's look at verse 22 in the first chapter, what this completeness looks like, wanting nothing, filled to the full, 122. Talks about being reconciled or returned to God in the body of his flesh, verse 22. This was Christ dying for us. Through death, to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. How does God look at you as a believer in Christ? Blameless, holy, and above reproach. In other words, nobody can bring an accusation against you before the Lord. Somebody said, oh no, you don't know what I did. That's why he didn't talk about you. He just talks about how you are in Christ. Because what's going to make your way into heaven? Your good works? No. What Christ paid for. And so when he talked about being complete, you have to change your thinking, especially if you're trying to achieve. You can't. It even goes on to say, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. Well, why does he say that? Because these things that you received are an issue of faith, not works. And so when God looks at you, he looks at you by the payment Christ made. So you look complete to him. When you go to pray, when you show up on the judgment day, when you pass from this body to the other side, if you've given your life to the Lord, he'll go, man, holy you are, blameless you are, and above reproach. And how many people think, oh, I hope when I get there, God doesn't go, what is your problem? You're above reproach. By you? No, by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why he said you're complete. If I still had to do something to get myself ready when I went there, I'm not complete yet. And if I got to do something to make myself complete when I go to talk to God, then I'm not complete yet. But the way he did the work, he made it so I'm complete in his sight, which would look like in one small part of it, and we're looking at this part, what is it? Holy. The Bible said we were created holy now. That doesn't mean you're acting holy. You're created that way. He said holy, blameless. Why are you blameless? Because of his blood, not what you're doing. And above, beyond an accusation or a reproach. Well, that kind of sounds complete, but it's not really the way he looks at completeness. So let's look at some more verses. How about verse 16? Notice, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Everything of creation consists because of the Lord. Now remember, we're talking about being complete because we're in him. And it says, verse 17, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Notice verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him. Now notice, he created all things, then every power, every dominion, then not only did he create all things, he made you blameless, holy, above reproach. Now notice verse 19. 
For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. All of God's fullness, all of the authority. He talks about in the 13th and 14th verses how he qualified us already to be accepted in the blood, to have dominion and authority, to walk in victory. And just these different things about his creative power, his ability, his work in you is all in the person of Jesus. But you said, yeah, that's in him. Right. But you're complete in him. But notice this. Verse 27. To them, meaning to believers, God willed to make known what are the riches. Now, we just talked about some of these riches. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? You know, they have those mystery room things where you got to go in and solve the problems before you can get out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you pay money for somebody to lock you in a room. I don't know what you're paying, but if you want to come to my house, I'll lock you in the closet for an hour and you give me the money. Whether you make your way out or not, that's cool. But notice, you can be locked away. A mystery is something that's hidden. Notice God unhid it. What did he unhide? Now, we've already looked at all things are in Christ. Christ is not in everybody, but he is in the believer. But notice this mystery. The mystery, this mystery among the Gentiles, God willed. He wanted to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope or expectation of glory. Well, let's think of it this way. Christ in you, by reading back over the things before, Christ in you, the one who created all things, that all things exist by him. Christ in you, the one who is above all principality and power and raised you up to. Christ in you, in whom all the fullness dwells. It talks about the riches of wisdom and knowledge are in him, and he's in you. I mean, we're talking about being complete in him because him is in us, not only are we in him. And so when he's talking about these things, many times people don't know, so they think small about themselves. And I'm not blaming anybody, I'm just saying we need to recognize when a person comes into Christ, we are so different than the world, but many times we still think and imagine like the world and not realize what he did. And so if they limited him, and you could be tasting God and going, well, I'm enjoying God. Do you know that we could unlimit him even more and more? Here's a fascinating thought. Turn with me to Mark 17, and we'll close with this verse, but with a couple of thoughts with it. Mark 7, 7. And we're talking about using our imagination, realizing, man, I'm complete, I'm holy, not by my actions. When I start seeing myself the way God created me, it will give me the power or release the ability to walk in these things. Notice Mark 7. You there? 
If you're not, here we go. Verse 13, Jesus spoke, and now listen, here's the context. Jesus spoke to these religious people who had come up with these regulations and these rules and how things were and how things should be. And uh, guess what he said? Good job, you guys. No. Verse 13, he said, you're making the power, the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many other such things. Notice he said, there is a power and an ability in the word of God, but traditions make it of ill effect. They, it stops it. Well, think of this. Jesus one time was in a building, uh, a structure, some home, and it said the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Them, not one, them. And, uh, and then it was so crowded, this guy came who was crippled with four friends. They couldn't get in the house. And uh, he came after it said the power was there to heal them. Couldn't get in. So his four friends dragged him up on the roof, tore the roof off, lowered him down. And it said the Lord saw his faith, but the Lord said to him, your sins are forgiven you. Now listen, the traditions of the religious leaders make the power of God of no effect. Why? They think wrong, they imagine wrong, they picture it wrong. And remember, those religious people were there and the Lord said the power is there to heal them. Now you'd think it would be automatic. But it's interesting, only one person got healed and he wasn't there when it said the power was there to heal him. He came after and came in a different way. But you do see that those religious people had wrong imaginations. They said, who is this man who can, says he can forgive sins? They imaged like, only God can do that. Who is he who does this and thinks he can do this? And who is he that you know, says he's got this power and does all this stuff? And they murmured and complained. And God, the Lord, healed him and told him, your sins are forgiven. And the crippled man got up and walked out. But those other people, those religious people, shut off the power of God for him. But isn't it interesting Jesus talked to these other religious people and he said, your traditions and your wrong way of imagining things is what's cutting off God's power in your life. Here's a side thought. He wasn't saying it to everybody in that room. Why? Because his disciples were in that room. His disciples never saw miracles and saw things. They just read about them before. But when Jesus showed up, now they're starting to see more and more miracles. You know what's interesting? There was a time in the disciples' lives that they were going forward. They said, you know, they had started to start see results. But then they came on this one situation, and they didn't get results. And then they said, well, why couldn't we? And the Lord had to explain why they couldn't. But what I find is interesting is as they progressed in being taught of the Lord, what would that do? If you start to change the way you think and act, it will change your results. And so the disciples were starting to change the way they thought about things. And as they progressed, they got more and more results. Well, what does that mean? 
Is God wanting to do more for them? No, they were learning how to not limit God and not to think small. As a matter of fact, there was one time they started thinking backwards and thinking small, and they were on a boat, and they were talking. Jesus kind of said something in a parable form, and, and they said, oh, man, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus said, are you guys hard-hearted? I worked a miracle like this. We could, and, and fed all these people with this little bit, and then we did this with a little bit. He said, are you hard-hearted? Notice this phrase. Do you not remember these things I did? And he said, in other words, I could do that again. We could do that again right here. But you are not remembering, just like those people. You're not imagining right. And what's so fascinating is, so I wasn't even talking about that. And they were already thinking away from God's ability working. But you know what's interesting? As they progressed in life, and as you progress with your imagination properly in line with the Word, you will progress too. The disciples were not perfect when they were with Jesus, but they progressed themselves as they began to imagine and see God's ability working and know the truth, and they started thinking different. In other words, why do we use our imagination? Why do we have that? So we can start picturing the right thing because it will open our hearts to greater things in God. God wants you to think bigger. God wants you to think more power. Well, what if I don't see it right away? Just keep imagining. I mean, if you get ingrained on the bad side, it may take you a little time to get ingrained on the good side. How many people have a poor image and they'll, they'll see somebody and go or see something and go, I can't get that job. That job's beyond me. That, that's for somebody who makes a lot of money. Who in the world are you? Aren't you a child of God? God would like you to make some too. But you can see how people get those images in them, and then they dominate them from rising up. Oh, well, I just don't want to teach my kids to think big because I don't want them to be disappointed. Hey, if you don't, they're going to be disappointed. Just flat out. So I said, oh, my goodness, I haven't been doing this. What do I do? Start. You may even have a little battle in your head. But just start and keep going and start realizing, I can think beyond. This isn't about self-help. This is thinking about stuff that you have in Christ, that you're complete in. God's for me. He's accepted me. And you can move forward. God wants you to think this way. Side thought as we close. If you are wrestling with obeying God and you think there's no value in obeying the Lord. I woke up this morning and this came up in me, so I thought I'm going to plug this in somewhere because it does have to do with the imagination and your thinking. I heard this pretty clear inside and I recognize some people are, are wrestling in obeying. If you'll obey those directions you get from the Lord, then the things that are valuable from God will become important and valuable to you. Because it will take a heart choice to obey. But what it will do is start to shift your attitude toward God. You with me? And so it's important to recognize this whole thing with your imagination is really a relationship with God. It's not just mechanics. You with me? 
It should enhance your relationship with him. Not just, I'm a positive thinker. No, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm talking to you, God. You don't got nothing against me. And the devil will remind you what you did an hour ago. But the Bible said you've been washed. And he sacrificed once to get rid of that junk. So you just keep moving. Somebody said, well, I just got to be perfect enough. Let me just tell you something. You're never going to be perfect enough to accept or to have God's grace in your life. You're never going to be perfect enough to stand before God on your own merit. So you got to have faith and trust in what he said, that I am complete. I got the goods. I'm in business. Are you in business? Amen. Lights are on. Anybody home? Amen. That means we're going to imagine, right, 